0: For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey, Chandler Bolt here, and joining me today is Mr. Brad Pedersen. Uh, Brad, I've known Brad for a long time. We went on snowboarding trips for years, he- heli and cat snowboarding trips uh, mm-hmm. with Dan Martell and a bunch of other really cool people. And just a super accomplished entrepreneur, angel investor, thought leader, business coach. Uh, in 2008, he founded and scaled one of Canada's top toy companies uh, called Tech for Kids. And then they merged to create a company called Basic Fun, uh, which was a maker of one of the most world's most iconic toys, which is, if you know Brad, he's a very understated guy. So it's like, I feel like I knew a lot about Brad. I somehow did not know this for years because <laughs> uh, since then uh, in 2018, they kept, they co-founded uh, Pila cases um, new category, sustainable smartphone covers essentially that are uh, compostable and biodegradable. And I've had one on my phone for years now. They scaled that business over a hundred million dollars in revenue and then launched a big Kickstarter, for a product called Lomi, uh, which is the world's first waste kitchen composter. uh, And they crowdfunded about almost, it looks like just shy of 10 million for that. I think it was an Indiegogo campaign, hugely successful campaign. And then now kind of parlaying off of all that stuff, uh, he's the author of a book called Startup Santa. And so it's a toy maker's tale of 10 lessons learned from timeless toys. So teaching entrepreneurs what he learned from that process. So it's a long way of saying like, really sharp innovator, really great entrepreneur, business mind, just really great person. So we got a lot to unpack on this interview. We'll talk book stuff. We'll talk invention stuff. Uh, it's going to be fun. Brad, welcome. Great to have you here.
1: Chandler, so great to be here. Uh, I got to get you to do all my PR introductions. I mean, I don't <laughs> think anybody's ever done it that well. So my, my head is swelling a little bit, actually. So
0: <laughs> oh, man. Well, I want to start with, obviously, You're an accomplished, you know, innovator, creator, like kind of creating all these products. Why a book as your most recent, like kind of quote unquote product, if you will. And how does this book fit in with your goals, with your business, all that stuff?
1: Yeah. Great question. The truth is I actually didn't want to write a book. And um, there's kind of three reasons I didn't want to write a book. Um, number one is you just gave me this very storied uh, introduction of all these uh, highlight reel of my life. But the truth is, you know, I'm an entrepreneur who has had a lot of failings. Um, you know, gone through bankruptcy not only once but three times. <laughs> so uh, I've I've seen some low lows when it comes to business. So, I had some shame that I just was like, well, I don't think that there's a lot of value I can bring in light of uh, some of those things that happened in my past. Secondly, it seemed incredibly daunting, like writing a book. Um, I know about myself as an entrepreneur, I'm really good at starting things and finishing things. It's that messy middle that I don't do so well in. And this seemed like a lot of messy middle and I can confirm it really is a lot of messy. <laughs> yeah. middle. It's there. True story. Yeah, true story. And third was, you know, I already felt like the world was kind of noisy. There was a lot of other thought leaders and books and podcasts and things out there. Did any, you know, would anybody really benefit from uh, having more people in the conversation? So where I landed was that, okay, I'm going to write a memoir because in my 30 years as a toy maker, I need to kind of capture some of the stories because it's been a bit of a story, you know, Forrest Gump kind of story with some crazy things that have happened. I thought I just got to write this out and and unpack some of the, the lessons from it and kind of a crazy thing happened along the way. Um, number one, I discovered there's something called narrative therapy, where as you write, you actually process and you heal. And I actually found myself going through in moments of writing my book, I was actually in tears because I was just kind of reflecting and then like closing loops and, you know, kind of thinking, just correlating my ideas. And this is what it meant and how I was um, letting it land on me in in, in things that I just kind of like moved on from, but never really fully unpacked. Right. And then second is people like. Dan Martell, friend of ours said, Hey, I hear you're writing something. Do you want to share it with me? So share a chapter with him. And he comes back to me, and says, Brad, he gives you that look, Brad, you'd be doing the world a disservice if you didn't share this. <laughs> so with a little bit of encouragement from some of my, my peers, I said, okay, I'm going to turn this into a book that I want to, you know, focus on founders, uh, kind of twofold founders that are just starting out and, you know, can you know benefit benefit from the wisdom of my wounds, and that would be my first sort of avatar mm, for this. Mm-hmm. And the second is maybe some founders who've you know got some battle scars and some wounds, and maybe mm-hmm. feeling a little fatigued and uh, defeated, and that this would be something that they could relate to because they're you know they're not alone. I I mm-hmm. understand that I've I'm a I'm a subscribing member to that AA group, um, so. That is why this book is out. And, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that it's going to land on those people and make a positive impact in them.
0: That's cool. And so obviously the book is called startup Santa. Uh, you talked about, uh, writing that for, you know, entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, who have been through tough, challenging times, which is really synonymous with the word <laughs> entrepreneur. It's like, <laughs> it's like, who has it? Uh, what, uh, Can you tell us about like, kind of, how did you decide? Cause it feels like it's maybe, you know, in some ways part memoir, but then also it's part like, Hey, this is practical lessons learned. So how did you, I feel like that's something that often people struggle with. It's like, okay, I want to tell a book about my story, but should I just do the story part? Is it memoir? Is it nonfiction? Is it somewhere in between? Like, how did you land on that and and what you feel like would be most helpful for the reader?
1: Yeah, look, I, I, so I, it's a creative process like what I started with is nowhere near where it finished in terms of the creative unleashing the creative idea. And this is, this is what I think is, is interesting about the creative process in general. Like you start with curiosity and then you apply creativity to it. And then you have the courage to actually lean into it. And as you're doing that, you start to go, Oh, Hey, what if we did this? What if we changed that? So it was a memoir. And as I was going through and doing the memoir, I started to say, Hey, wait a minute. I was a toy maker. I'm like, I'm a big believer in the power of play and the importance of toys and that toys are a part of our development as humans that, you know, when we're growing up, a toy is a medium that promotes play. And when we're playing, we're developing three things we're we're becoming creative, we're learning how our interactions and we're problem solving. And so why don't I take some of these iconic toys and tell a little bit of the backstory of this, of the toys, and then tell what they're teaching us. Like, what is it they're teaching us? And then take one of my stories, one of the things that I went through, typically, you know, we don't learn from success. It tends to be a sucky teacher, but one of the things I, I failed at and then tie those lessons together. So the book takes you through 10 of those experiences through 10 different toys. And actually there's 11 because I add a bonus chapter in there. And, um, I just, I think it's, it's a fun way to tie together these concepts in something that we can relate to. Cause I, we can all relate as kids yeah. Christmas morning, you woke up and there was that thing that you were like, wow, that's so cool. It, it was all the possibilities around the play that was going to be experienced through that thing. So, um, yeah, that, that that's, that, cool. that's
0: the I love that structure. That's really cool. And we're all, the, so we're all of these 11 toys were these all ones that you created. Was it some that you created some that others created? <laughs>
1: Yeah, only one toy was one we created. Um, okay. So the rest are all based on toys that um, were iconic. So I did not create GI Joe's; that was Hasbro. Yeah, yeah. You know, Monopoly—that's that's also Hasbro. So there's a you know, Mattel, Hasbro, Lego—they're the dominant companies that yep. a lot of these toys, and they are to this day the dominant companies out there. But they're iconic toys that you will relate to. You'll cool. remember the moments that you interacted with them. You had them. Your kids might mm-hmm. have them it'll 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 be a a meaningful connection
0: that's cool and which one was the one that you created and can you give us like maybe beyond that the top two or three because brett was talking about this last week Mm -hmm. uh he's like man he created this and he created this and they created this and i'm like uh, and (laughs) so can you i know you're you're a humble guy but can you like what were these big ones that you created and what's the one that gets featured in the book
1: yeah, uh, so the most iconic toy that I was involved in is LightBright. So most of you would know LightBright. Uh, you probably know Tonka as uh, another brand that uh, is fairly iconic. So those are part of Basic Fun, which is a company I co-founded, and they still are to this day. Um, they also do brands like Care Bears and um, and Connects. So those are all I think pretty iconic mm-hmm. toys. Mm-hmm. The one in the book that I uh, feature is none of those. It's actually Mashems. And mashams were a collectible that were squishy toys. And we basically took this idea that stress balls were sort of popular and they call it the mid, early, mid to late 2000s. And then fidget toys started to become a thing, if you remember that craze. Um, and we created these liquid-filled squishy toys made out of iconic licensed characters. And we got super lucky in that we had licensed it with angry birds back when angry birds was just becoming a thing oh. um, and that kind of created the initial momentum and then from there we ended up licensing with all the major uh, properties you can imagine marvel
0: mm.
1: warner brothers uh, mm. you know uh, my little ponies i mean pretty much every character you can imagine by the, by the time yeah. i left the toy business we had sold over half a billion units around the planet so it was one of those rare moments of seeing something go from small to massive numbers very fast. Um, It doesn't happen often, (laughs) but when it happens, it's very exciting. And uh, and it continues to this day. It's still a brand that's in the marketplace that you can still go find at uh, major retailers.
0: Wow. Half a billion units. That's incredible. What on the innovator side of things, like how do you invent and create these products <laughs> and it's like a loaded question it's like we need five hour <laughs> podcasts to just scratch the surface probably but i mean it just seems like from the toys to pila cases to Lomi, mm-hmm. like this is obviously in your dna mm-hmm. and i don't know that i got that same dna uh what it, 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 like what tips do you have or what like uh i don't know how would you how would you describe like that that core kind of skill set of what it takes to invent you know, products that stick?
1: Well, first of all, let me just go back and say that I am not supposed to be doing this. I I was not supposed to be a creator in toys. Like I grew up on the prairies of Canada where we're known for oil and agriculture. And there was no toy companies in my background. My parents were actually chiropractors. That's what I was going to do. Um, so it made no sense that I ended up in the toy business. So I just want to kind of start there from a baseline. And by the way, I didn't work at a toy company ahead of time. I actually wish I had. That's my one regret mm. in life. It would have been saved me a bunch of pain, a lot of uh, challenges along the way um but i i've come up with this sort of like framework that i call the courage flywheel and the way i think about it it starts with curiosity you you were curious about something we and as kids we're designed to be curious and to you know we we see a caterpillar on the ground we see a leaf that is in, you know, colorful or or something that just captures our imagination. That's the curiosity piece. And then when we spend time in curiosity, creativity flows out of that because we start getting creative with what we could do and the possibilities of extending that. And I think that's part of our God given imagination to project the future. Everything's created twice: first in our minds, and then we manifest it physically if we follow the third step, which is courage—the willingness to try, the willingness to lean in, to attempt things. And we got to be willing to suck before we can become successful. It's just, there is no other way around it. I mean, you know, Michael Jordan had to be a poor dribbler before he could become a great dribbler, poor shooter before he could become an ex- expert shooter. And that's just the way life is. You have to be willing to start small and not good until you eventually build mastery in it. But on the other side of courage, because you're probably going to make mistakes, you're going to face challenges. <laughs> that's just guaranteed. And we we're kind of joking about like, you know, entrepreneurship is like, hard. And for those entrepreneurs who tell me they haven't seen hard things yet, I said, you just haven't lived long enough. It's coming. Don't worry. It'll find you. (laughs) So challenges, which in turn, you can choose those challenges to actually define you or to refine you. And if they refine you, they build your character. And as your character develops and you build more grit, tenacity, wisdom as a result of that, that creates confidence. And confidence is what leads to more curiosity again. And that flywheel just continues to go around and around. And you just want to continue to grow what I call your courage flywheel. If you just do that enough times. So with toy creating, Mm. I mean, I started off in toy distribution. That was my start there. Somebody else made the toys. I just did the distribution. I crashed and burned that company. That forced me to reimagine and choose again. I went into toy manufacturing. Toy manufacturing required a completely different skill set, but I'd learned a few things in the initial company that I could then apply to the second company in terms of sales and marketing. And now I had to learn skill sets around design, manufacturing, development. Um, and look, I think today it's never been easier than ever to be a creator. Like the tools that are available to all of us today that are just open source. If you decide that you have an idea in your mind, if you're curious about something and your imagination can, f- can project something highly creative, it's never been an easier time to actually lean into that to try and create something and, and use a, like I used to have to spend $50,000, 60,000 dollars on a prototype. Now you can go to a 3D printing lab and print something yeah. for like a few bucks, like, just to see if it might be cool. <laughs> so yeah. it's, The options and optionality have never been higher and greater for anybody who's a creator.
0: Hmm, that's good. I love that framework too. That's uh, that's slick. So you said, uh, I just want to make sure I got it right. You said curiosity, courage, challenges that build character, that build confidence, and then back into curiosity. Is that right?
1: Close. You almost got it right. Curiosity leads to mm-hmm. creativity, right? And this is you know God given. Ah. Like we're called to be creators, right? From there, mm-hmm. we have the courage, right? Mm-hmm. We then will face challenges which mm-hmm. then build our character. And if we work through that, it creates more confidence and clarity. Even you get out of seventh, if you wanted, but mm, I think hey, six is good enough. Hey. And it just keeps coming around to give you a okay. again. So, okay. Hey, let's use that when we go snowboarding together, right? Yes. We're curious if you could actually do a big air, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? So then you get kind of thinking about, well, how would I have to position my body before I launch? You know, where, wh- which side of the hit am I going to go straight off? Going to go to side mm-hmm. angle. So then you apply that creativity, you have the courage to actually do it. Uh, the first time, you probably don't get it right. You may be Tomahawk. Mm.
0: Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 Maybe, yeah. hypothetically, theoretically, that may have happened to me. <laughs> so,
1: but the point is, is that challenge helped build your character and that gives you more confidence. And guess what? I saw you totally air it next time and stomp it, right? Something like that. Yeah, something so.
0: like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the real challenge is Dan shaking you up and saying, Chandler that was not good. This is dangerous. Will someone else ride with him? <laughs> but that did, that wasn't a real challenge. And it gave me, let's see, it did give me character. <laughs> and then after a while, a little bit of confidence. Oh, confidence. Man, that's
1: that's and then gay. you get curious again about, well, maybe yep. this time I can do like a switch 180. <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, like- yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe next uh, maybe in January on our next trip. Is I'm assuming is this flywheel or or a framework in some capacity? Is this in the book?
1: It's in the book. Yeah.
0: All right. Great. Great. Yep. Let Let's talk about. So, guys, obviously get the book. Startup Santa. Learn about the flywheel. Ten uh ten business lessons learned from timeless toys. Let's talk about the uh, kind of the innovator brain that we just talked about with you creating all these products. <clears throat> what did you learn from that that helped you create a better
1: book? Hmm. That's like an interesting question. Um <clears throat> look, I'm let me step back and just say that one of the things I open up the book with is talking about the attributes, the admirable attributes of kids. <clears throat> and if you think about it, kids are um they're imaginative, they're hopeful, they're faithful, they're enthusiastic, <clears throat> they they represent all the things that uh Uh, that we as humans would call it our best attributes to promote possibility. And you think about it as kids, anything's possible. Like I was going to learn to fly. I was going to be, you know, uh, uh, climbing mountains. And there was no limits to the possibilities. And I actually believe that when Jesus called us to be like little children, I think he really meant embody these attributes. Don't lose them. Because Ben Franklin said most people die at age 25. They just wait to seventy to get buried,
0: and mm, oh what I shoot. feel good.
1: happens is that we lose that zest for life. And you know, what, like when you see someone, like for instance, let's since Dan is in our in our group, and even as I look at you on the other side of this camera, you can the eyes are the windows of the soul. And when you look in someone's eyes, you can tell if they're alive. Like when I mean alive, Mm -hmm. like not just breathing, but they're truly living an abundant life. Like they're thriving, they're excited, they're leaning into the possibilities. And on the flip side, you can see people who have numbed out just by the fact that their eyes no longer twinkle. Mm -hmm. And I just, it's a part of uh, something we all face is that as kids, everything's possible. And then we start facing resistance. We're told what we can't do, stop, don't do, we fail, we make mistakes and we just start to layer on these layers of apathy that we get to a point where we just suddenly we're just in in motion. We're you know we and and we're in effect versus that cause. So I say all that to say that I think it's really important that we all understand that this is a part of our human experience and that we work against it, knowing that it's the natural tendency to migrate there. Like gravity weighs us down. We, we naturally migrate to destructive behavior patterns. Like my mom didn't have to teach me how to say bad words. That came natural or uh, steal cookies from the cookie jar. Again, that came really natural, but to actually live a life of abundance and to be thriving and to be exploring possibilities requires you to lean in and to be engaged and to not lose those important childlike attributes of possibility and faithfulness and hope. Um, And so, as I think about, you know, the creative process, in order for you to truly unleash your creative genius, you have to have those childlike attributes intact and not let them Mm. wither and not become apathetic. And Mm. apathy, the root of that actually means loss of passion. And you think about it, it makes makes a lot of sense, right? When you're Mm -hmm. apathetic, you've lost passion. Mm -hmm. And we really know, knowing, like my coach says to me all the time, a skilled hunter knows how to hunt, but the master hunter knows how he is hunted. So, mm-hmm. if we know that apathy is something that we will just gradually drift towards unless we're working against it, just like if i don't if I don't look after my health, I will just naturally drift away to being unhealthy. That's just mm-hmm. the way it is, so we mm-hmm. have to work at it. we have to constantly reinvest, lean in, focus on how we can continue to be engaged and be at cause versus in effect.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. At cause versus in effect. That's, I like that concept. What the, You talk about the childlike curiosity. How do you do that? I, I, I think it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to, to live it. Because I feel like there's these things growing up where you're like, oh, I'll never be like that. I would just remember, was like things that my dad would do that would drive me crazy. I'm just like, oh, I've never, me and my mom would laugh. and It's just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I'll never be like that. And then you start growing up and you're like, oh shoot, I'm like that. And not even that that's bad in and of itself, but I think that as that relates to like getting jaded or less curious or more rigid in your ways, it almost feels like the cause effect thing, Like, like it's a default on, not default off thing. Like I find myself like, oh yeah. Hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right, so if you've learned something, we wanna help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right. So go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement. We tried that didn't necessarily work or like, you know, just like, it feels like little things like that creep in. So it's easy to Mm -hmm. theoretically understand that, but then hard to actually implement it. How do you do that? And how, how have you done that kind of throughout the course of your career, whether it's creating toys, products, books?
1: Yeah. Or you know, products that are going to change the world in a positive way, um, Right. which by the way, I use toy factories <laughs> to make the products. So like the same people I worked with in creating toys are the same people who are involved in creating Pila case as well as Lummi, but that's cool. Um, you know, in the book, I talk about a framework that I think is really helpful to kind of think about it. But again, it's, it's sort of thinking through that, okay, understand that how do we, we know the propensity of our humanity is to, um, Again, gravity weighs down and and we will naturally drift towards apathy if we don't actively work against it. So I talk about the quality of life quadrant. And the idea being is that engagement from zero to high engagement, satisfaction from zero to high satisfaction. And we all start off in life as the rookie where we have high engagement, but low satisfaction because we have nothing. We're bootstrapping from our basement. But we're inspired because we see the possibilities. But what happens from that point forward determines how we land in one of three quadrants. And we may end up in all three quadrants at some point during our life. So the first is in the bottom corner where you have low engagement and low satisfaction. And those people are the victims. And those are the people that are actually in effect. In other words, they are defined by what happens instead of refined by what happens. It's easier for them to blame a person or a situation for their circumstances in life than is to actually take ownership. And the problem with that is that you actually give up your power to something or someone else. You are you are no longer, you know, it's it's a nice excuse like, well, I am this way because of that, but you no longer have the power to actually make anything possible in your life. And unfortunately in today's society, there's so much victimhood like that is just, there's people who have just claimed, I mean, I drive on the highways here in Florida and I see billboards out, you know, so-and-so got me millions of dollars. Well, I guess it was profitably a victim in this case, right? So I'm not saying there isn't, you know, there is some legitimate victims situation, but the vast majority of people just go to that by default, that they are a victim of some situation there. And those people suffer from what I call the four B's. They are blind to how they were involved in the process of landing where they are, they're begrudging other people because they see other people that it didn't happen to them. They're comparing. And when you compare, you despair. So, they're comparing. So, they're begrudging that person. They blame other people and other circumstances for what happened. And ultimately, they have bitterness. They're super bitter people. And um, I think it was Nelson Mandela saying, trying to harm your opponent by uh, being bitter against them is like trying to drink poison to kill them. The only person you're only going to harm is yourself. So that is the first place you get end up is being this person, a victim. The second spot, which is call it reasonable satisfaction, but low engagement. Those are the bystanders. And those are the people who maybe they start off, they get some initial success, they go through life, but their comfort zone is only going to stretch so far and they don't want to get on the other side of it. So they choose to just not do the most or not to explore the most. They just stay contained within their comfort zone. And they start to define the quality of life by their power they have, the possessions that they have, uh, the the, the power they have, the possessions, the pleasure that they're able to um, uh, indulge in, and or the prestige of of the status that they are in society. And those people ultimately are the people who know it all, show it all, and owe it all, right? Right. But ultimately, where we want to get to is high satisfaction and high engagement. And this is where the champions are. And this is like people that are a hero's journey. And they're the people who really focus on what I call the four C's, where they understand the most meaningful things in life, all to come down to how they create important memories, like going to ballface, uh, So they are thinking about from the four Cs, challenges—things that they overcame: running a marathon, doing a 360 on their surfboard, uh, doing something that is truly a challenge. You've been trying to—it's got high satisfaction to it, right? Um, creativity, where they build something. They—they uh, they take their creative genius, unleash it, and they—they they make toys or or you know devices that are going to turn organic matter into dirt, or you know painting of some sort, right? Charity, where they're giving of their time and their money, their resources to out make a difference in someone's life. And ultimately, connections. Connections with people, making magic memories with those that matter. And that ultimately is what I think we all want to try and strive for and continue to you know, just be aware that we, at any time we could be in any one of those brackets. But if we want to ultimately live out the hero's journey, we want to know that we're leaning into life that we have high engagement, but also high satisfaction because we're pushing our possibilities and we're expanding our comfort zone and knowing that, hey, we're doing more than we even thought was possible. Like I'm sure you as an entrepreneur, as a founder can relate to the fact that you're probably at a place that if you went back 10 years from now, it'd be hard for you to envision you being here. It was just you taking the risk to lean into the possibilities that actually allowed for that to happen.
0: I love that. I love that. And I don't know if people can see this on the video, but I love that. It's like the Zoom audit. You're getting animated and it's like Brad just raised his (laughs) hand. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Oh man, I love all the frameworks. It's clear. And I think, you know, you talked about narrative therapy. I've actually never even heard of that, but I always, I just always joke that, you know, writing a book is like free therapy. So maybe that's what you're talking about is narrative mm-hmm. therapy actually is probably what it's called, but it's just the, the therapeutic process of, uh, of writing and creating, you work through all this stuff. But it also, I think a, a, a great benefit is it, it helps you create frameworks and maybe this is just how you think, but it's just like, there's been three, four five frameworks on this interview alone that I've thought to myself, that's good. And I can't help, mm-hmm. but, but, wonder and think that maybe that got distilled and sifted throughout the creation process of this book, uh, which I think is, is is a really cool kind of benefit of going through the
1: process. I can 100% confirm that that's true. Like, <laughs> literally, yeah. that the process of writing, actually, I I now, I heard somebody say this before and I can identify I write to learn what I think. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of relate to that. I was writing and I actually processing connecting, correlating ideas and learning what I actually thought about my thoughts, which mm. was helpful. So,
0: mm. yeah, that's cool. I like that. Well, um, Brad, a couple final questions. We'll wrap up. Hmm. Um, we've got one, uh, we're, we, we got a new segment. Y'all we're bringing in questions from the audience. Uh, so this question is from Brooke um, says uh, as an entrepreneur, as an entrepreneur myself, I'm curious, what was the most, unexpected lesson that you learned from writing a book versus starting a business and did any part of the the book writing process catch you off guard or surprise you compared to launching a company?
1: Yeah. um, Look, I think when you're taking whatever creative endeavor you're doing, you're literally taking the unknown and making it known. So as I said, everything's created twice first in your mind and then reality. And a book's no different. I mean, you start off with an idea. Um, I had kind of a basic idea of what I wanted to do, but how it actually turned out is better than I initially thought, just based upon the creative processes and getting in the process and, and the juices flowing and like, oh, we could do this and that. And and oh, this story. Oh, I forgot about that. You know, it, So uh, here's the other thing I've learned about me and maybe it's unique to me is that my mind is really good for coming up with ideas. It's terrible at retaining them. So, the book process actually forced me to really recall a bunch of things. Fortunately, I had been journaling and I highly recommend if you don't journal, you should because you just want to capture life. And even you'll be amazed at just trying to remember last week. Like it is it's it is a surprising part of our uh, humanity that is a bit, um, that just needs to be supplemented. You And I think a journal is a great way to do that. But I don't think that it's anything really different than a business. It It is the, you know businesses are ideas they start with an idea they start with a thesis and then it's a series of experiments to see if you can actually prove it through and you know kind of using eric Reese's language you either persist or pivot yeah you know? or maybe you put a bowl in it and shut it down <laughs> you know it's it's up to you but it's a series of just try trial and error and and there's going to be more error than success you just have to recognize that going in that when we see success we're only seeing the sh- the sh- Polish shiny surface level stuff. Beneath that is a whole bunch of layers of crap (laughs) and problems and things that didn't work out that you you rarely hear about. And there's also something called survivor bias, right? Where you only hear from the survivors. Behind the survivors, there's a whole bunch of people who didn't make it. But um, I think it's encouraging to know that it's possible and that if you're willing to just persist. And continue to lean into the possibilities that you can eventually land at a place where you get it right at the right time.
0: Hmm. hmm. That's good. What would you say is your parting piece of advice, Brad, for the Brad of years ago before you decided to write this book, and maybe the other Brads out there who are thinking about writing and publishing their first book?
1: I would say what my father used to say to me, and it still holds true. Don't despise the process. For what it'll make of you, the process is how you. It's part of the perfection of you. You are an ongoing work in progress. Uh, We all are. I haven't arrived yet. You know, writing this book isn't like me. Like I've I've got it all figured out. I'm still learning. In fact, I've got new ideas since this book came out that I'm still kind of like oh, and or I'm changing some of my beliefs even just in terms of new discoveries about myself and the way that the world shows up and I show up in the world. So don't despise the process it's it is a part of you becoming we're not human doings or human havings we're human beings therefore the most important thing for us to be thinking about is how do i who do i need to become who's the person i need to evolve into that can write a book who can you know build a business who can uh make impact for my family and my community
0: that's cool well where can people uh Brad where can people go to buy the book to you know, find out more about you, what you're up to, whatever would be most helpful.
1: Sure. If you want to go and find out about me, you can go to my website, which is bradpetterson.com. And that's all E's is an echo and D's is in Delta because most people spell it wrong. So I uh, will just give you that as a quick, uh, uh, shortcut. And, uh, the book is startup And if you go there, the first chapter you can download for free. I also did a number of videos, um, uh, actually my pastor and I, we have a whole series of that vet- videos together that just unpack some of the lessons from each of the uh, the chapters. And uh, I think it's a really, you know, I think some of those videos would be really helpful because it's telling the stories behind the story, like even going deeper into what happened. And he asked some great questions, some questions that actually at moments made me emotional and uncomfortable, which was actually the whole point.
0: That's amazing. Well, guys, check out the book, StartUpSantaBook.com. Obviously the book, uh, Startup. Santa. It is just launched by the time you are seeing this interview. It is officially live. Uh, it's been fun. We've been been able to uh, work with Brad on kind of the final mile of this book at selfpublishing.com. So if you're selfpublishing.com com author, definitely buy Brad's book. We want, um, let's support one of our own and let's blow this thing up. Uh, it's going to be really, really, really big and really, really good. So buy the book, Share it with someone, startupsantabook.com. Uh, and then our new segment that we've got with questions live from the audience. If you want us to have one of your questions in a future episode, submit that. All you have to do is leave a comment on one of the episodes on our YouTube channel or leave a review on the podcast with your question. Uh, and that's how you could submit for the, uh, for the future. Brad, you're the man. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for being yeah. here.
1: it's awesome thank you guys for all you've done to support me in this journey it's been awesome working with your team and it's great to know there's other canucks who actually are part of your uh your larger cohort so it's amazing well hey we're we're just
0: getting started as we talk about uh in the program and in my book, it's the one year launch, not the one week launch. <laughs> so I know you're doing, a lot. I mean, it's probably like the last thing you want to hear right now, being in like 50 bajillion podcast interview mode before the book launches. Um, but we're excited to keep supporting you over the next year. And uh, guys, grab a copy of the book.